face to face. 511 face to face verses 1, 3, and 4. our pastor preached on this when I was on the mainland and I heard some of that message and it was a blessing my family has been memorizing this psalm or the first nine verses of this psalm this month this is our memory passage and so that's given me a good opportunity to really meditate on this passage I want to bring out some other things here and uh, we're, we're going to go through these first nine verses and then if we have time I want to take this and go to an, several other passages, and I would like you to see, I hope tonight, um, a glimpse of how this Old Testament passage ties in with some New Testament passages and what it means for you and me. Our Father, we thank you for the time you've given us now in your word. We thank you for letting us pray together tonight to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We thank you for the privilege of singing your praises in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. 
We thank you that someday we will see you face to face. We will see you face to face. And what a blessing we have now. Um, 100 years from now, all the troubles that we know will not mean a thing. We will have seen you face to face and we will be beholding your glory through eternity. And we look forward to that. We pray for that day. We pray even so, come Lord Jesus. We pray that until you come, that you would help us to stay faithful to you, to delight in your word, to delight in walking your way. Strengthen us now for your word. Help us to walk in this world as shining lights for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we pray that you'd be glorified and you'd bless your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 107, uh, verses 1 through <clears throat> verses one through 7 really are a testimony that every Christian can, can claim as our own. But first, let's look at it from the historical background. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. And that's a truth that's true no matter what age you live in, no matter what dispensation. God is always good. We don't always see that, but God is always good. His mercy endureth sometimes. <laughs> no, if your Bible doesn't say forever, write it in. His mercy endureth forever. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, that doesn't mean if you're redeemed, you walk around saying so, so, so. You know, it kind of bothers me. People like to begin sentences with the word so. Uh, I've got an acquaintance. I met him years ago preaching in North Carolina. And uh, he, was a, he's a, he was a Jewish background. He was a missionary to Jewish people. He has now got a really a fascinating ministry um, on the Internet. He gives short gospel messages on TikTok, of all things. And they're really high quality, really good guy, uh, uses the right Bible. And <laughs> he got invited to go to Israel. And he said on his, his social media statement, he says, so this just happened. I said, what just happened? Don't begin a sentence with so. That's not what he means when he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What he means is say, say something, say what? That, he's, that they've been redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them declare it. Let them declare plainly that he, has re, that he hath redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The redeemed of the Lord. The rescued by the Lord. Those who are delivered by the Lord. Delivered from what? Rescued from what? From the hand of the enemy. And I, I think this really describes Israel coming out of Egypt. God redeemed his people out of Egypt from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 3, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered, verse 4, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. You've heard of solitary confinement. It's when someone who is accused of committing a crime is placed in confinement in which he is solo from everyone else. He's in solitary confinement. They were in a, in a road, in a path, in a way that they were all alone, no one to help them. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them 
out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. God brought Israel out of Egypt. He brought them out of the wilderness. When they cried to him, he heard them. He rescued them. He gave them manna. He gave them water when they were in the wilderness. He led them for 40 years. He brought them into Canaan. And he gave them lands. And he gave them cities. And ultimately, he gave them Jerusalem where they could worship God and build their temple to worship the Almighty, their Redeemer. That's the testimony of God's people Israel. This is also a picture of the testimony of every Christian, everyone who was redeemed. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 uses this same terminology, in whom, in Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. So if you have redemption through his blood, if you have the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ, then this is you. You're redeemed. And God wants you to say so. He wants you to declare it plainly. Don't hide it under a bushel basket. Don't be, pretend that, oh yes, things, politic, political winds come and go. They change, they shift, and sometimes God's people have it pretty easy in this world. And sometimes God's people have it very difficult in this world. But whether it's easy for us or difficult for us, don't let that keep you from declaring plainly that you are the redeemed of the Lord. God gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north, from the north and from the south. That reminds me of Acts chapter 15 and verse 14, which says that God has gathered out of the Gentiles a people for his name. This is talking about Israel in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, God takes people from all over the place to himself. He is building a heavenly kingdom, a, a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. And uh, in eternity, I think we will still have some of our, our uh, ethnic distinctions because John saw that in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter, chapter 5 when people, they say that uh, thou hast redeemed us by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. There still seems to be some kind of ethnic distinction. And maybe we'll even use our own heart language when we're there in heaven. And yet, we owe greater allegiance than we owe to any kingdom on this earth to our heavenly king. He's redeemed us and he's gathered us out. By the way, gathered them. The Lord saves his people. He delivers and redeems his people. And then he gathers them together. And if you call yourself a Christian, then you should be expected to gather together with God's people. I was thinking back. I didn't really think about it until just this afternoon. But while we were in California, within one week's time, I was able to visit four church meetings. I got to speak in three of them. One of them I just uh, visited and got a blessing from the singing and the preaching and the fellowship. I got to go to four churches in one week. And it wasn't enough. I could go more. And God's people everywhere made us feel welcome. If you're a child of God, you want to be with God's people. If you're a child of God. No one should have to coerce you to gather with the saints of God. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. Now, if that doesn't describe 
an individual before being converted to Jesus Christ. I don't know what does. Wandering in a desert all alone. And it says hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. You know, across the United States, the, the mainland, there are there are long hiking trails. There's the, the North Country Trail. It runs from, I think, New York State, winds up around through the, around the Great Lakes, up through Upper Michigan, down across there and up th into Minnesota. It's something like 4,000 miles long. Uh, Timothy and I walked on maybe an eight, one eighth of a mile of it <laughs> when he was four years old. And uh, then there's the Appalachian Trail, probably the most famous. It goes from uh, northern Georgia all the way to central Maine. And um, then there's the Pacific Coast or Pacific Crest Trail, runs from uh, Mexico all the way to Canada. And then there's a, a trail that compared to those is not so long, but it might be more difficult. <clears throat> it's called the Arizona Trail. And the Arizona Trail runs from the south to the north of, of Arizona. For about 20 miles of it, it runs through the Grand Canyon. And um, as you, as we, I was reading with Samuel, I think it was, about these different trails. When we read about that trail, the Arizona Trail, you're on, when you're on the Arizona Trail, your primary occupation is looking for water. It's not making sure you have a good tent. It's not making sure that you keep the scorpions off of you when you sleep. The main occupation, the, the main way you spend your time on that trail is you look for water. Because water is scarce in a, de in a, in a state that is mostly desert. I remember flying into Phoenix, Arizona in 2003, looking out the window, and I thought, why in the world? I flew out of beautiful, green, lush, rainy Oahu, and I flew into Arizona, and I looked out the window, and I thought to myself, these words, why would anybody build a city here? Because in my thinking, you've got to be near water. Well, they have, and they've done pretty well, I guess, but you've got to have water. Bible says that they were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. That's a picture of a lost man. That's a picture of a lost man. It can also be a picture of a saved man who's wandering through this world, who's on pilgrimage through this world, and is just fed up with the dry, with the drought of this world. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. <laughs> You know, sometimes we have this funny idea that trouble should never come to a Christian. But I think sometimes God sends us trouble to re remind us to come back to him. That's what this entire psalm is about. This whole psalm is about, it's, it's one group of people falling to trouble, crying out to God, being delivered by God. And then the refrain, the chorus, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's in verse 8, that's in verse 15, it's in verse 21, it's in verse 31. Uh, this is the theme. People get into trouble, they cry out to God, God delivers them. People get into trouble, they cry out to God, God delivers them. We get into trouble. And kids, when I say get into trouble, I don't necessarily mean we get in trouble, as in we did something wrong and now we're in trouble. <laughs> well, we, we have trouble. We have problems in life. We have difficulties, we have challenges to our faith. 
We get into those things, and God does that to bring us back to himself, to remind us how weak we are, how faint we are, how feeble we are, and how much we need him, how much we depend on him. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And aren't you glad that our God is able to deliver his people? Back when uh, some of you have heard this, if I've said it before, forgive me for saying it again, but it just became very, very clear to me, this whole idea that our God truly does, he can bring us down into the lowest place so that we look up and cry out to him and can see him display his power. Uh, back when Ethan was born and they were saying he's going to be in the NICU for until his until his due date, which was five weeks or six five and a half five weeks later, and in my head I began tallying up. Okay, it costs three thousand dollars for day one, and it's going to be. So it ended up it was going to be somewhere around three three hundred thousand dollars for his NICU stay. Now I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> And I remember driving up Lique Lique Highway. I left Kristen and Ethan at the hospital. I was driving home to stay with the other kids at home. And I was saying, Lord, you, you, you've got to take care. I, we don't have it. And I don't know what you're going to do. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them out of their distresses. I still haven't seen the bill for for David's surgery, but God has already provided for it. It's already paid for. I'm very eager to find out what it would have been, but the Lord provided. And he led them forth by the right way. And here's, I, I love this, verse 7, because if these verses from verses 3 through 6 describe a conversion story, I think it also can talk about, it also may be describing a saved man's life. But I think it also describes a lost man coming to Christ and being saved and calling out to the Lord Jesus to be saved. But he doesn't end with delivering them out of their distresses. And the Lord doesn't just only save us from sin and then let us walk on our merry way all alone. We were in a solitary way before he saved us. We were lost and dead in trespasses and in sins. We call upon the Lord. He delivered us out of our distresses. And then verse 7 says, And he led them forth by the right way. The Lord doesn't only save us from sin. He also leads us from the time that he saves us until the time he takes us home to glory. He leads us. And what King David wrote in Psalm 23, He leadeth me. He leadeth me. That's the testimony of every child of God who has his eyes open to see what God is doing in his life. He leadeth me. If you call yourself a child of God and you cannot see God leading either, one, you are not a child of God, or two, your eyes are clouded over. Either you can't, you have not paid attention or your eyes are too filled with the things of this world to pay attention to what God is doing. 
If you're a child of God, he's leading you. If you are redeemed, he is leading you. And thank God he doesn't merely save us and lead us through life. Listen to what it says. He led them forth, verse 7, he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. I was reading this passage to my family this morning and I got a little bit carried away with myself as I sometimes do reading my Bible because I imagined that my skin was of a much darker pigment and that I was of a different, somewhat different uh, preaching tradition. I was imagining what it would be like to be a black preacher and handle this text. And if you'll bear with me just for a moment, just let me, just let me have fun with this for a little bit. Imagine, have any, now some of you, most of, a few of my kids have been in a black church before. What a blessing to be in a black Baptist church. Oh, they can preach. And I was just thinking how a black pastor might handle this verse, verse 7. It doesn't say that they would go to a city where they could live in. It doesn't say that they would go to a city where they could dwell. But it says that they will go to a city of habitation. I'm just having fun with it this morning. They read this passage. God has a city for us to dwell in, to live in. A city of habitation. A city for us to inhabit. He led his people Israel to various cities. He gave them the cities of the Canaanites. He's got a city for us. We'll come back to this verse in just a moment. Look at verse 8. There's a, there's a, there's a desire. Now, verses, verses 1 through 7, I suppose we could call that every Christian's testimony of deliverance. Verse 8 would be every Christian's desire. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. As a child of God, don't you wish that more people loved and praised your God and your Savior? Amen. I do. Not because I wish there was a crowd of people around me. I like to be alone but because I want more people to praise the Savior because they know it. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's the Christian's desire. We want people to know him. And that means we want people to be saved. We want people to grow. We want people to learn about him and love him and serve him with joy. I love how my dad prays, our pastor. I love how he prays. I've heard him say it many times. Thank you, Lord, for letting us, for letting us. Thank you, Lord, for letting us serve you. You ever thought about that? God lets us serve him. It's a joy. It's a joy. It's a delight. It should be our desire that other people would know him and praise him and love him. And then in verse 9 describes Every Christian's delight, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. The old song said, only Jesus can satisfy your soul, and it's true. <clears throat> you can try all kinds of things in this world that are exciting, that are fun. You can see the exciting movies and be wowed and, wow, that's so cool. But when all that stuff fades away, 
it's just it's just a vapor. But when you get to know God, when you get to know the Lord Jesus Christ through reading his word, talking to him in prayer, serving him with a joyful heart and 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 open hands, you find enjoyment and satisfaction that is real and deep and, 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 and fulfilling. That's the Christian's delight. Now come back to verses 7 and 8. If verses 1 through 7 describe the deliverance that every Christian can, can testify of, and if verse 8 can talk about every Christian's desire, and if verse 9 can describe every Christian's delight, I want you to think, in, as we look at verses 7 and 8 one more time, about every Christian's direction. Again, God does not save us merely to let us walk on our own. He saves us. And then He leads us. He leads us. Present tense. It's ongoing. If you're a child of God, He's leading you right now. It always has made me feel a little bit sad when, when the opportunity is given to a congregation to give testimony, and the only thing that people can say is, back in 1975, God saved me. Well, praise God that he saved you in 1975. But if that's the only testimony you have, I pity you. Don't you want to have a kind of testimony where God is doing something today? No, we, we can't make God work on our timetable. We don't say, God, now I claim it, so you've got to do it. You know, Joel Osteen recently, he lost his multi-million dollar home in Houston suburbs because a woman took his preaching seriously and she named and claimed his house. I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But if that's how the doctrine works, that's what would happen, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> We can't make God work in our timetable. But if you're walking with God, you are going to see Him do good things. Again, it doesn't mean everything is going to be smooth and easy. But God is going to be at work and you will see Him leading you. You will sense it. It might not be in big spectacular ways, but you will know. I... Uh, I think about what the Lord said to, to fathers. He said, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them which ask him? You know, I've got birthday presents for a young man who's having a birthday tomorrow. He just sneezed. I've got birthday presents stashed away. I've had some, uh, one of them for months. I've had it. It's in store. We've got Christmas presents already in the wings, waiting for people in this room. And those are just little gifts. And these, these, these young men here, these boys, when they get those gifts, 
they don't have to wonder where it came from. They don't have to wonder if they really got it or not. They know where it came from, and they know who it's for. Because it's going to have a tag on the wrapping. To, from. And when you walk with your heavenly Father, you don't have to wonder, is this from God, this good thing? And you don't have to wonder, is this really for me? Now, I confess, sometimes I say, Lord, I don't know why you're so good to me. I don't know why. Because there's no way I could deserve this. It's mercy. It's grace. But I know where it came from. He leads his people. The direction of every Christian is God is leading us. And he's leading us. Listen, look at verse 7. He led them forth by the right way. Not the way of men. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But not God's way. God's way leads to life. Life everlasting. And in his way, there is no curse. The blessing of the Lord it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. He's got a destination in mind for you. Every Christian has a direction walking with God. And every Christian has a destination. We have a destination. We have a destination. A week and a half ago, Timothy and Matthew and I flew from Honolulu to San Jose. And the only transportation that I had to pay for other than a $6 fee on Hawaiian Airlines was an Uber from San Jose to the southern San Francisco area. Got on the phone, Uber. You know, I feel so cool with the phone, you know. 30 years ago, only spies had this kind of stuff. <laughs> we only imagined that it was possible. No, everybody did. I still feel cool doing it. Uber. Man pulled up in his Honda Odyssey. Nathan? Yes, that's me. Okay, going to Mildred? Yes, sir. Okay, oh, here, put your bags here. He's a nice Arab man. We went there. We got to our destination. We got to Millbury, which is southern San Francisco. Picked up a friend's car. God provided a vehicle for us both times. 44.3 miles to the gallon. What a blessing. Especially in California where it cost over five and a half dollars for a gallon of gas. <clears throat> and uh, got us there. We put our bags in that car and then we Drove to San Francisco, 20 minutes later, arrived at the Wong's house, unloaded our bags at our destination. Stayed there for four days, packed up, came home to our destination. Every Christian has a destination. It's a city of habitation. Keep that thought in mind, that city of habitation. Come to John 14. John chapter 14. This is a review for some of you. 
the connections might be a little bit different. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Pause just for a moment. Why did Jesus say you believe in God, believe also in me? Was he saying that I am not God? Is that what he's saying there? The challenge that people like to give to the deity of Christ is that Jesus never said, I am God, and therefore he was not God. Well, let's think about that just for a moment. Would he have to make that statement? Those three words, I am God. Would he have to make that statement in order to be God? Think of it from another angle. Have there been people that claim to be God? Yes. In fact, living right now, there are about six or seven quite famous people who claim to be either God, the, the creator, or claim to be Jesus. There's an Australian man who claims to be Jesus. The woman he lives with, he claims, is Mary Magdalene, who is reincarnated. Wacky. Just absolutely wacky and blasphemous. Now, they claim to be God. They claim to be Jesus. There's a man in, uh, I think it's Brazil. He has long, flowing hair. And some of it, I think, is wrapped in braids on top of his head. He calls himself Henry Christo. And he walks around in a white dress, carried around in a chair. These people claim to be God. Okay, so they claim to be God. So a man claims, I am God. Does that make him God? Jesus could have said, I am God. But he did something better than that. <clears throat> he proved he was God. He demonstrated he was God. And he made statements that to those who knew what he was saying meant, not directly stating, but meant, I am God. In John chapter 8, verse 58, he said, before Abraham was, Abraham who lived 1,500 years earlier, was it 2,000 years earlier? A long time before Christ was born. Before Abraham was, I am. Verse 59, then the Jews took up stones to cast at him. Why? Because he was claiming to be, I am. Only Jehovah says, I am that I am. And they knew that. In John chapter 10, he said, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why? Because of what he was claiming. And so in John 14, when he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He was essentially saying, You already believe in the Father, believe in me too. I am one with the Father. Verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Think about that. I go to prepare a place for you. A city of habitation, maybe? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to 
stay there by myself and let you dream about it. No. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Some of you were here when I came back that short time to look at the house in Kanyoka. We, we wanted to buy the house, but can you imagine spending that much money on something side unseen? So I flew out here by myself, I looked at the house. I walked through the house with the realtor, with the, the house inspector, through the house. Okay, it's good. And then what did I do? What did this head of the house, this head of the home do? He flew back to pick up his family. And then he brought his family to the house. <clears throat> I go to prepare a place for you, the Lord said. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am that ye may be also. He's not preparing a house for himself to walk around in and leave us down here on the ground. He's preparing a place for you, for me. And then he's coming again. He's coming again. That where I am, there ye may be also. And look at verse 4. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. What did it say in Psalm 107 and verse 7? He led them forth by the right way. Verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. He led them forth by the right way. The way ye know. I am the way. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now keep all of that in mind and come to Hebrews chapter 11. There is a city of habitation. He's leading his people toward... He is going to bring his people to a city of habitation. He said, I will go and prepare a place for you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith. These heroes of the faith. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed. Confessed. That they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now this confession... This word confession has been, has been abused through history. Under Roman Catholicism, <coughs> confession refers to what you do when you tell another sinful man your sins so he can talk to Mary, so she can speak to Jesus, so Jesus can speak to the Father and get your sins forgiven. And nowadays when you hear the word confession, it's often referring to I say that I want something and by faith I receive it. That's not what we're talking about. Confess simply means you admit something is true. <clears throat> you admit something is true. Verse 14 says that. For they that say such things, watch it, declare plainly that they seek a country Confessed, declared plainly. What did Psalm 107 say? Verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
And truly, verse 15, truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. That is a Christian America. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? But as much as we thank God that our country was founded on biblical principles, there's never been a time in our country's history when 100% of the population were zealous, Bible-believing Christians. In fact, there was a time in our country when Baptists were literally tarred and feathered for preaching without a state license in the state of Virginia, of all places. We desire a better country that is in heavenly. And if you desire that better country, if you're one of these that desires that better country, if you're tired of this world, this world, thank God for the good things on this earth. But if you're tired of this world system and you realize there's nothing here that really fully satisfies. There's got to be something better. If you're looking for that better country, this next phrase about God, I believe, describes you. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? Because they're not ashamed to call him their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. Psalm 107 led them forth by the right way that he might lead them to a city of habitation. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so. I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Hebrews 11, he hath prepared for them a city. A city. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 ties it all together. Have you ever read or heard a really good mystery drama? <clears throat> and you have this loose end over here, and this loose, this detail here, and this, this fact here, and, and this clue over here, and all these different people. We have a radio drama series on CD, Adventures in Odyssey. I think there's 28 uh, 30-minute stories in the whole series of CDs. And, and the storyline goes this way and that way, and this country and that country, and it goes every which way. And in the last recording, in the last three minutes of the recording, everything comes back together, and it all ties up. And you go, wow, what a good story. It just satisfies the brain. That's what Revelation does. Genesis begins. Man comes on the scene. Man takes a bite of the fruit. And it all unwinds. <laughs> Human history is not a straight line. Human history is a tangled mess. Except for God's sovereign intervention and guidance. It's a tangled mess. But God weaves it all back together. And he's bringing it all to his desired end and it winds up here in Revelation 21, and you see it really very clearly right here in Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. May I, may, I, may I plainly and kindly say that if it is your life mission to save this planet, you've got a pretty sorry life mission. Yes, recycle your trash. Yes, please don't throw trash on the Aina. Please don't throw rat poison down the drain. Don't do that. But if that's your life mission, it's really kind of pathetic. Because all of this is going to burn up. And it's going to make it new. And there was no more sea, verse 2. And I, John, saw the oh, holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of where? What did Hebrews 11 say? They looked for a, for a better country that is an heavenly. Coming down from God out of heaven. Coming down from God out of heaven. Doesn't Hebrews 11 say, Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he hath, he hath prepared for them a city, And I, John, verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared. Prepared. John, chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is no, this is no West Virginia in the back of the holler, you know, 15 shacks kind of a town. I've been in some of those. This is not the barrio in San Antonio. This is not, this is not the, uh, what do you call that in, in Chicago? Been to the, some of those places. This is a pretty place. I have never seen a bride show up unadorned for her husband. Every wedding I've been to, the bride is decked out. And you don't have to guess who she is. Everybody knows who the bride is because she has, they, so, sometimes is not really a pretty girl, but they make her look pretty somehow for the wedding. God has a city. He's prepared a city. And it's adorned. It's decked out like a bride for her husband. Verse 3, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. They cried out. He delivered them. He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. I go to prepare a place for you. God is not ashamed to be called their God. He's prepared for them a city. He saw a city come down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. God will be with them. They shall be his people. God himself shall be their God. In verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Why? Because the causes for tears will be wiped away. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. 
Now, dear Christian, if you are spending your life trying to rescue this planet or any system on this planet, you are wasting your life. But if you are laying up your treasures in that city, if you're living for that, if you're living for the day, when you see him face to face in that place, you're not wasting your life. You're not wasting your life. Yes, live for righteousness. Be salt and light in this world. Be as much of an influence for God as you can in this world. Call your senators, even though you think it means nothing. I read a great statement today. I would rather pour my little bucket of water on the burning barn, thinking it's not doing very much, than stand by and do nothing. Is America going to hell? Maybe. Don't stand by and do nothing. Mm -hmm. But don't put all your eggs in that basket. And what you do for whatever place you do anything for in this world, anything temporal in this world, do it ultimately for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Because that's what lasts. And the Lord Jesus said, Whither I go, where I go, ye know. And the way, ye know. He led them forth by the right way. Christian, he's leading you in the right way. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are going to a city. You're going to a city. Let me show you something very quickly, and we're done. Revelation 21 verse 24 Revelation 21 verse 24 I have checked this in other Bible versions I don't remember which of them do not have this word most of the new uh, newer English versions meaning from 1901 or so until present day don't have a word that's in this verse verse 24 but it is an important word the context of this is the city Right? Verse 23 says, the city. Verse 24 says, and the nations of them shall walk in the light of it. Did I read that properly? Did I leave something out? Please look at verse 24. I'm going to read. I'm going to leave a blank. Please, congregation, fill in the blank. And the nations of them shall walk in the light of it. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Now why would you leave that out or take that out? Or why is that not in some of these Bible versions? The nations shall walk in the light of it? <laughs> kind of important, isn't it? Who's going to be there? Saved people. I hope it doesn't sound trite because we've said it so many times, but it's so true. That this city is a prepared place for people who are prepared. And if you're in the right way, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're on your way to this city. And so tomorrow when you read the news and it makes you feel depressed... <laughs> Remember that this is not really your eternal home down here. Benjamin Franklin called America the last great hope. 
but he wasn't right about that. That may be true politically. That may be true uh, uh, in, in, in somewhat of a practical sense, but it's not true eternally. The last great hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're in him, even if atomic bombs go off tonight, if you're in Jesus Christ, you've got a peace that can't be taken from you. We have a city. We have a city. And it's better. It's better than anything on this planet. <laughs> it's prepared. And it's prepared, Jesus said, for you. <clears throat> wow, that's good. <clears throat> that is so good. <laughs> rejoice not, the Lord told them, that the devils are subject unto you, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. We need, to, we need to pray and thank God for this wonderful truth, don't we? Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this, uh, this truth. We have a home in heaven, a heavenly city, where there are many mansions prepared for us. Thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who opened the way who bridged the gap between earth and heaven, between man and God, dying for our sins on the cross, and then conquered death by rising from the dead the third day. We thank you that we know the way, and we who are saved are in the way, and we're on the way, and you will bring us to our desired haven, you will bring us to our city of habitation that you've prepared for us. Thank you, O oh Lord. Now please, as we delight in this truth, make it our desire mm -hmm. and our determination to help someone else. Praise the Lord, for he is good, mm -hmm. for his mercy is everlasting, for his truth endureth to all generations. We pray in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.